of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hey, Monday Night Football tonight. Browns and the Bengals right here on WHBC will be going to the pregame at 6 o'clock. But screw the Browns. Let's talk some Cavaliers basketball right now. Let's do it, man. The red-hot Cleveland Cavaliers, winners of five in a row after opening up with that loss at Toronto. They've run off five straight at Boston Friday night, yesterday at home against the New York Knicks. And Donovan Mitchell, the talk of the NBA, not just in Cleveland, but I think throughout the entire league, averaging over 32 points per game. He went for 38-12 and 12 last night. And joining us right now on the hotline is the outstanding Cavaliers beat reporter, PlainDealerCleveland.com, Chris Fedor. C-Fed, how are you, my friend? Kenny, JT, what's going on, guys? I'm doing great. How are uh, you? Spider it's Mitchell's fun. going on, man. It's fun to watch. Uh, t- what's it been like there at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, Chris, watching this team? I know it's early. It's only six games, but th- I think there's reason to get excited about this team. What's it been like? No, I mean, it's been raucous at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. It's, it's felt like the days of, of LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love and the days that they're fighting for playoff spots and they're going to the NBA Finals. And I know it's only been. Um, a couple of weeks into the season. But last night when Donovan Mitchell was doing the stuff that he was doing, especially in the fourth quarter, and he had that four-point play that tied the game at 99, the floor beneath me in my media seat shook. Wow! Like that's how crazy it has gotten at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. That's how much fans have bought into this team. That's the level of excitement that this group is starting to generate. And it all starts with Donovan. When you have somebody like Donovan, that caliber player, arguably a top 20 player in the entire NBA. It just gives a franchise a different level of hope and belief. Chris, JT and I were talking about this. Can he maintain this or, or at what level? I mean, where, when Darius comes, because Darius isn't even playing, right? So we don't right. know what's going to happen. But can he maintain this for 82 games or they're not going to ask him to do that for 82 games because he won't have to when DG gets back? Yeah, that's the thing, guys. He can maintain having a positive effect on a possession-to-possession basis, right? He can maintain the kind of impact that he has on a nightly basis and the belief that the team has because they have somebody like him. Like, I was talking to Dean Wade in the locker room after the game, and he was wearing his junkyard dog chain. And I just said, you know, it doesn't feel like you guys ever feel like you're out of a game. And he said, Chris, we don't, because we have somebody like Donovan who can flip a game in the snap of a finger. So... He has created this level of belief. There was a level of belief in that locker room, right? They won 44 games. They advanced to the play-in tournament. They felt like they were headed in the right direction. But he has given them a different level of belief. So he can still have that kind of impact, right? But the numbers that he's putting up, the pure production that he has had in the first six games, like that has to come down with somebody like Darius because – Donovan's role is going to be different. The number of shots he gets per night, that's going to be different. The number of possessions that he occupies, that's going to be different. The usage rate is going to have to change as well. And I think there are going to be growing pains between him and Darius. Like, they've got to learn how to play with each other. 
one of the reasons why I think it's been so smooth for Donovan early on is because guys, in a lot of ways, he's being asked to do a lot of the same things that he was asked to do in Utah. He's being used in the same way that he was being used in Utah. So he really hasn't had to take a step back. He really hasn't had to make any kind of adjustment within his game. Once Darius gets healthy and Karis LeVert stays in that starting lineup, and then you've got three ball-dominant players, then I think you're going to start to see some growing pains. But even within those, I think Donovan is still going to be an effective player, just not with the production that we have seen where it's like, I mean, what he's done in the first six games with a team has never been done before except for Wilt in 1959. It's a fun story, Chris. Kenny and I were talking about this. And if there's any shortcomings right now, and it's early, I mean, we're Mm -hmm. six games in. Any concerns on your part with Allen and Mobley? Points in the paint were getting drilled. 54-48 Friday, 64-32 last night. Now, I realize we're shooting lights out from three, but is that who this team really wants to be? I think so. Um, I think they just want to play to the talent that they have. It's funny because, guys, if you go back to last year, like people thought that J.B. Bickerstaff created this supersized lineup because he just loves bigs and he's an old-school coach, and he has an old-school philosophy. But what it was was him looking at the roster that he had and saying, how can I put the best team out there? Like, what style is going to be best based on the personnel that I have? And, you know, three of the guys, Lowry Markinen, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, those were like three of their top eight players in the rotation. And then Kevin Love was also one of the best players in their rotation as well. So he just had to find a creative way um, to get all of them enough minutes, enough touches. And it wasn't just like, hey, I'm married to this tall ball lineup situation. And I think it's the same thing when it comes to this year, right? If Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Kevin Love, Dean Wade, Jetty Osman are going to be some of the, 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 the most reliable pieces of their every night rotation. <laughs> They're going to rely on the three-point shot a lot. They're going to rely on drive and kick a lot. It makes more sense for them to operate that way offensively as opposed to dumping the ball to Jared Allen in the post or as opposed to dumping the ball to Evan Mobley in the post. And that's not to say that that's not going to be part of their offense. It is going to be part of their offense but they're going to adapt based on how the defense is going to play them, and they're going to adapt based on the personnel that they have on the given night. But the bottom line is they've got some elite three-point shooters, and the three-pointer has become a weapon for this team. They're the number one three-point team in the NBA through the first six games, and that's without Darius Garland, a prolific three-point shooter. So I understand the concerns about not having as many points in the paint. But this is an offense that is designed to get three-pointers off of driving kicks, and it's working. Chris Fedor, our guest, outstanding Cavs beat reporter, Cleveland.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Fedor. All right, so we've talked a lot about D. Mitch, right? Spider, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call him. Uh, he's going to be player of the, the month, more than likely, uh, for the, the first month. What? You don't think so? Giannis? Uh, uh, Giannis, Giannis is, is going for like 
40, 15, and 8. <laughs> well, but but that was expected from him. This is unexpected, maybe, from the Donovan Mitchell. All right, so he'll be runner-up for player of the, the month <laughs> in the Eastern Conference, maybe, uh, if he doesn't yeah. win it. But still, um, Darius Garland, what is the latest on Darius Garland and when he might be back and we might see these two in the same backcourt and see some of those growing pains, but also see a lot of positive things as well. Darius is itching to play. Um, Darius is pushing to play. He was targeting the Friday game against the Boston Celtics, but there's just still a lot of swelling there in his eye, and there just isn't a ton of confidence that the Cavs have if they put him out there that he's going to be protected the way that he needs to be protected. Like, they want to make sure that he's going to be able to see things to his side, both sides. They want to be um, cognizant of the fact that, you know, um, if his eye isn't um, responding the way that they want it to with the swelling, that they're not going to force him back into the lineup too soon because, they don't need to because they have the luxury of somebody like Donovan Mitchell. I mean, think about this, guys. Last year, without Darius Garland on the court, the Cavs um, were outscored by 9.3 points per 100 possessions. Okay. They were 4-14 and 14 in games without Darius Garland. With Donovan Mitchell now, they have already won five of those games without Darius. Like, that's the kind of thing that they now have as a luxury, that they don't have to rush Darius back, that they don't have to put him out there too soon. They're going to make sure that everything is right. His vision is right. The swelling is down. He's comfortable, and he's protected when he's out there. Um, I am of the belief that he's going to play Wednesday against Boston, but this is an eye, number one, and there's not a lot of treatment that he has that can bring the swelling down. And there's no way to predict when the swelling is going to be down enough for him to be comfortable to play. The other thing is, I've talked to Darius multiple times. He wants nothing to do with protective goggles. He does not like them. He does not want to wear them. When he tried them to shoot a couple of different times, he ended up taking them off because he didn't like the peripheral vision and he didn't like the way that they felt. So that's another layer to this whole thing. I think if he would be willing, more willing, to wear protective goggles, he might have been back already. But he doesn't like them at all. Chris, what about the rest of the team? I, I In the post game yesterday, I thought I heard somebody say that someone else had gotten hit in the face. They didn't say yeah. who it was, and is the rest of the team healthy, and who did get beamed in the face yesterday? Jared Allen got smacked was? in the face by Julius Randle. Um, if you remember, it was a play that was initially called a defensive foul guy okay. against Jared Allen, and then J.B. Bickerstaff challenged it, and it was overturned. Um, he was fine. Uh, there was nothing wrong with him after the game. I saw him after the okay. game. And there's nothing wrong with Karis LeVert either. Um, obviously, he had that nasty fall against the Celtics where somebody landed beneath him, um, and, and because of that, like he landed on the person's foot and there was a flagrant foul at the end of the game against Boston. But I had talked to Karis, um, in the locker room that night, I walked back from the podium to the locker room with him and he wasn't limping or anything along those lines. And the next day, even though the Cavs didn't really have any kind of practice, it was just kind of like a get together. Um, he was one of the last people on the court taking shots and doing movement activity and stuff like that. So. Everybody but Darius Dillon, Ricky Rubio at this point in time, um, it's a relatively healthy team. All right, you brought up uh, 
Ricky Rubio, what is the target date for the point guard to return to be uh, another added piece to a deep roster already? Everything that I had heard from the very beginning of this thing with Ricky's camp and with the Cavs, they looked at the history of a torn ACL and they were targeting 12 months from when um, the injury happened and the surgery happened. So if you think about it, the injury for Ricky happened on December 31st. Um, so you're looking at early January, um, but there's a difference between being ready and healthy and then being effective when you play. And once again, I just don't think the Cavs are going to rush this. I think they're going to take a cautious approach with Ricky. He has not had any setbacks every time, um, the Cavs have introduced something different in terms of his rehab process. He's been able to go through it. He works out on the court every day after practice with coaches on his own movement, shooting, and he is showing no signs of any kind of setback or any kind of pain or any kind of lingering issue or anything along those lines. Um, But this is just something that usually takes about a year for a guy to get back on the court. Um, And then we're talking about the effectiveness that the guy is going to have year two as opposed to year one is always going to be more effective. So in part, the Cavs are looking at Ricky as kind of like a midseason trade acquisition. All right. um, be ready in like January, February, help us with this playoff push. But there's an honest approach that they're taking as well. And there's an understanding that the Ricky that they're going to get this year is not the one that they had last year. Like next year, Ricky might be, more impactful, and he might be more like the guy that really, really helped him at the beginning of the season last year. Chris, I'm interested in your thoughts on this new take foul, uh, the transitional foul, where you get a foul shot, you get the ball back. Is it working properly right now? It seems like every time they call it, they have to re-explain it to us. I think it is working properly, to be honest with you, because, one, scoring is up around the NBA. Transition scoring is up. Fast breaks that's up as well. And I think there's more of a flow um, to the game. Uh, I never liked the fact that, you know, somebody was going to get out in transition or somebody was going to get an opportunity to use their speed, strength, and athleticism. And somebody was just going to grab the guy, you know, that's not basketball to me. Um, I think there had to be some kind of harsh penalty for stopping that advantage that the player was going to have. And I think you have seen, Look, players are still getting adjusted to it. They're still trying to figure out what constitutes that and and what is something that they're able to actually get away with, kind of game the system if they can try and make an effort on the ball. But it seems like the game is more open and more free-flowing, and I think part of that is because players know that when these guys are in transition, you can't just go reach and grab them. I hate that foul. I, I really do. Uh, and That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah it, it just it stops the flow of the game. Fans want to yep. see that. Hey, you get beat, the guys cherry pick, whatever, give them the basket. Okay, take the ball out and go play the other end. So uh, let's hope this uh, works to the benefit of the NBA and fans uh, will be happier with it. Chris Fedor, our guest via the hotline here talking Cavs basketball. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Fedor. All right, Chris, what about the East? Right now, Cavaliers, a half game behind Milwaukee and Giannis. Uh, they're 
They're five and zero. Cavs are five and one. What about the rest of the Eastern Conference, Chris? The the Nets they stink right now, right? Uh, Cavs already beat Boston in Boston. We'll see what happens Wednesday night here. Give me your thoughts uh, on how this East uh, has started out so far. Yeah, I mean, I think Milwaukee is on a different level than any other team in the Eastern Conference. Number one, they have Giannis, who looks like the best player in the NBA, yeah. and they're doing what they're doing. Um, putting up the numbers that they're putting up offensively and defensively without Chris Middleton, who is arguably their third most important player, maybe even the second most important player, depending on how you look at Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. So to me, because the Bucks have the experience, um, because the Bucks have been together for so long, and because they have Giannis and a loaded team that can play pretty much any style that you want to play, um, I-, I think they're on a different level. Um, but I think the Cavs have shown that they belong in the same conversation, or at least, you know, if we would have been talking about the Cavs in the off season, we would have been saying, okay, they're probably close to like Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago, Charlotte, New York, some of those teams that are fighting to avoid the play-in tournament. Like what the Cavs have shown with how good they are offensively and defensively, one of the few teams in the NBA guys, top 10, in both those categories, and I think it's a sustainable top 10 in both those categories, they have shown that they belong in the conversation with, like, Philly and Miami and the Boston Celtics and some of those other teams that aren't Milwaukee. Um, And I think that's a really, really big step that this organization has taken, but I think they deserve that kind of recognition based on what they've been able to do without Darius Garland here. I look at this team right now, Chris, and we don't know yet because Darius Garland hasn't played, right? So right. it's going to be interesting to see how, how this team shapes up. But the depth when Rubio comes back, and I'm with you, wait till February, right? Yep. Uh, no need to rush him back. I'm not a big Neto fan, but uh, that's okay. Um, you know, <laughs> do what you got to do. Play Darius, uh, you know, at the two with Donovan at the one, and uh, one guy's always going to be on the floor, right? Are you yep. expecting that? Like, when one goes out, the other will stay out there and vice versa to get each other rest, and then both will be in there for crunch time? That was the plan going into the season. Okay. That's something that JB Bickerstaff talked about multiple times. And obviously, you know, the plan changed in the first half right. of the first game against the Toronto Raptors. But when Darius comes back, that's going to be the plan again. And Donovan is going to take a lot of those minutes as backup point guard, especially given the success that he's had running the point for the Cavs in the absence of Darius. It's given the Cavs a lot of confidence and a lot of comfort that he can do it at a high enough level, involve his teammates, run the offense, um, all this kind of stuff that the Cavs have learned about Donovan um, out of necessity in many ways. Um, it's given them more confidence that the way that they wanted to play this year with one on the court at all times is going to happen and it's going to work. Have you noticed that uh, Lowry Markinen's averaging 21 yes. points for, for the Utah Jets? Chris, I thought he was not going to be able to t- – I thought his career year was last year and it was right to trade him, and I still think it's a good – don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know they shouldn't have <laughs> included him because you don't have done – but 21 right. points to lead the Utah Jazz in scoring? Are you surprised by that? I mean, I'm surprised that he's leading the Jazz in scoring. I'm surprised that he's had this level of consistency at um, the beginning of the season for Utah because Lowry has been the guy throughout his career that has always left people wanting more. Yeah. 
It's like you look at this seven-footer and he can shoot from the outside and he can pass and he can dribble and you're like, why aren't you better? You know what I mean? But I was having a lot of conversations with people inside the organization and outside the organization this offseason, guys. The Cavs had big plans for Lowry in year two. They were really, really excited about him being their starting small forward again. They were really excited about him in year two of this system, in year two with this group of personnel. And, and Lowry was the one, if you ask anybody inside the organization, Lowry was the one that they were most pained to give up in the deal for Donovan. Wow. They had He's to. A lottery player. That's what it takes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell. I just yeah, want to no, I think everybody would rather have Donovan Mitchell, but there has to be some right. pain involved yeah. when you give up a quality piece like Lowry Markinen, who is going to be their starting small forward, who is going to be their third or fourth most important player in this lineup, and they didn't really have a great option to replace him at the starting small forward spot. That's why they had a six-player competition in training camp for the job. All right, so who is the starting small forward when they're all healthy, Chris? Dino. Oh, it's Karras. Is it Karras? Uh, okay. Oh, it's Karras. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's been Karras since training camp. It's been Karras in the preseason. And the way that I understand it, according to my source, is that the only way that the Cavs will make a change when it comes to what they were planning to do with Karras at small forward is if there's a reason to do it. If Karras doesn't fit alongside Donovan and Darius. But going back to the beginning of training camp, I had at least one coach in the organization repeatedly call that what they view as their death lineup. Hmm. Five offensive threats on the court all at the same time, three playmakers, and they feel like there's enough defense with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And Karras, if he's bought in and engaged, um, where that's going to be a really, really problematic five-man lineup for opposing teams. Dean Wade keeps shooting lights know, out, though. though. I, that's a nice, hey, it's a nice problem to have, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. When when somebody yep. emerges like that with Dino, and he he's yep. here for the next few years, so that's a, a developmental a developmental player uh, that is starting to um, pay the the fruits of his labor, right? I mean, Dean's been great. I, <laughs> the story of Dean Wade is one that. They should do an ESPN 30 for 30 on. He is from a town in Kansas in the middle of nowhere. It's called St. John. It's about a mile by a mile. It's basically a square. Uh, 1,200 people in the town. His graduating class in high school was 18 total people. He was the first player ever to get a Division I college basketball scholarship out of his little town of St. John. And now here he is a key piece, a key piece of the rotation for a team that has legitimate playoff aspirations and maybe even more than that. So even when Darius comes back and Karras stays in in the starting lineup as the starting small forward, Dean's going to be a part of this. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to space the floor. He's going to knock down threes. J.B. Bickerstaff trusts him. He has earned that trust. So he's not going anywhere when it comes to the rotation. It just means his role is going to change slightly, and his minute total is going to change slightly as well because he's going to have to come off the bench, and the Cavs are going to have to figure those combinations Chris, out. Chris, Chris, we've already got that movie. It's called Hoosiers. <laughs> a team this size ain't never played for a state title. Yeah, It's the Hoosiers. He's from a square. Does that Hickory. mean the Ollie? Hickory. This, yes, he would be Ollie. Yes, he is Ollie. When Ollie makes these two free throws. 
<laughs> and you will make them, Chris Vidor. Yes, and don't get caught watching the paint That's dry, right. Chris Vidor. No, and the basket's 10 feet high. That's it. No matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where. Last question, and I'll let you go here. Um, your son has better sneakers than I do, Chris. I was looking at some photos. <laughs> Elliot is going to be a year when? How old? Uh, when will Elliot turn a year old? November 27th. All right, so in about a month. He already has more expensive sneakers than I do. He's got Air Jordans that he was supporting or sporting at uh, the, the Cavs game the other night. Now, uh, was uh, mom and dad buying those? Did somebody get you those? Does he have an NIL contract already with Nike? I want to know. Yeah. Dad bought those and dad got yelled at. Those. In saying that. Now, mom loves them and uh-huh. thinks that he looks adorable in them, and people around the neighborhood compliment him every time that he wears his uh, Jordan 1s out. I bought those actually at the Chicago Nike store. Um, they were supposed to be a gift for him on his first birthday. That's what I bought them for. Right. But this dude is huge, and he is a tank, and he's in the 92nd percentile for length, so he's just like growing way, way, way too fast. So we started putting those on him about three months earlier than we anticipated. Well, so no. I did get yelled at. I did get yelled at for buying those. You won't but get yelled as at. You see in the picture. Yeah. Like it has been worth it because Chris, those babies are sharp, huh? Yeah, move that are. kid. Move him out to Kansas. Let him go to that school with only a hundred kids in there. <laughs> Next thing you know, he'll be paying for your retirement. That's right, St. John, Kansas. That's it. Town of twelve hundred. It's all about the pigs, Chris Fedos. That's what it is. <laughs> Elliot's going to be a big. Chris, we always appreciate the time. Tell Holly uh, I said hi. Enjoy that first birthday when it comes around in a month, and we'll talk to you soon. That sounds good, guys. Anytime. There he is, Chris Fedor. His son's adorable, too, Elliot.